Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. This is Paul Axton, and continuing our series of podcasts on philosophers, I'm going to deal with Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. The way in which I will talk about Hegel, though, is through an understanding that I think develops as a consequence of his thought and philosophy. And that is that I think that Hegel is uh, truly the point of departure for several thinkers who, in fact, are working on a Hegelian understanding. And, of course, this is Slavoj Zizek just says, well, this is what Lacan is doing, and and he finds his own thought then primarily in a Lacanian and Hegelian understanding. So as we approach Hegel, I'm assuming that there are several people then that have arrived at the insight or a similar insight to what Hegel has come to. I think that uh, we could put Heidegger in this group, but German idealism and maybe even beginning then with uh, Hegel's friend and roommate who, during their lifetime, was in fact more prominent than Hegel, and that is Friedrich Schelling. It's uh, Schelling's work that Zizek takes up, and uh, uh, describing then the beginning of everything, you know, the beginning of God in a kind of mythological portrayal. And of course, what is being depicted is that the, the sense in which nothing then folds in upon itself that drive accounts for every beginning, including the beginning of God. And what Schelling is attempting, and what Hegel then is really working on also, is to account for the tension between the ground of God's being and that being itself. This may seem a little obscure, but actually even if you go back to Anselm of Canterbury, Anselm touches upon the same difference, that is, that you have to, in some way, you cannot talk about the ground of God's being in some straightforward way, but actually that's what Schelling and and Hegel are going to do. And so it's this tension between ground and existence that will, of course, become definitive of death drive. Uh, And what is being pictured is that there is through the symbolic system, the symbolic order, or reality there in quotation marks, the sense that things cohere. And what you get then in just pure drive is, and that this will always be there in the human psyche, you know, what what is unmasked when we come to the human unconscious or get below the symbolic system, is this rotary motion of the drives that Freud is going to call the death drive. And so man is faced with a forced choice. God is faced with a forced choice also. And, and of course, God's depiction, all human personality, or all persons then, are choosing either predication and action, or literally nothing at all. And so the choice is between language, the social network, or a kind of form of non-existence, that is, that you're going to opt for a kind of being or presume being in the predication of language. But the point is, yes, but prior to this symbolic system, prior to consciousness is unconsciousness, prior to language is just madness, 
the pure drives. And this is why in Hegel you're going to get this picture of a dismembered self, a self that does not hold together, as it's absolutely nothing which continues as the threatening ground of every predication. You know, here shoots a bloody head, there a hand. How, what holds this together? And what we do then through the symbolic system in the beginning, in the idea of some coherence, is that there is a continual covering over and obscuring of the ground of death and nothingness. And this is why with Hegel, to get it, the ground of being that you have to tarry with the negative, as it is in the negative of madness or nothing, that we come to the final and full essence of things. And so the ground must in some way always be present, and yet it can't be there in, in its fullness. Uh, this reality, this is sort of the noumena, this is what Kant is really talking about when he begins to take away, take apart the Cartesian understanding. I think, therefore I am, but he's saying the thinking thing, the noumena, is simply an absence, a marker of a thinking thing that the thought in no way entails. And so there is a kind of disjuncture between the thought and the thinking thing. This disjuncture, you see it in all kinds of places that they're the individual and the crowd or even Zizek will refer to the face. You know, the face covers over as if it's covering something, but of course what it's, what it's covering is nothing. In a sense, this is true of all of reality or reality as we have it in a symbolic order that what it's covering up, what it's hiding, the beginning is from out of nothing. So the singularity of the act in the beginning, God created, and this is why Lacan will refer back to the act. And the picture is that in some way, there is just this passage from nothing, the eternal nothing, without bending, beginning or end to something, the beginning of human personality or the beginning of God. And in some way, an act intercedes into this, and there is an eternally repeated passage that is taking place that will and sometimes break through, it's a passage from eternity, from nothingness to something, from eternity to time. So ultimate reality arises from and tends towards this absolute nothing. And so this is, you know, Hegel will very much realize the role of the fear of death, the uh, dialectic, the slave-master dialectic, that what is ultimately realized is that the slave has as his ultimate fear the fear of death. What is uncovered in Hegel and Schelling and what is, what is being realized in Freudian, Lacanian psychoanalysis is the role that death, and death is always to articulate it in this way, to just say it point blank, really doesn't get at what we're talking about because it is the very sense in which the dissolution of the self is un under threat here, that there is the sense that death then is more of this feeling that you get in this encounter. And there may be this sense, even in reading Hegel, that what we're really arriving at to understand Hegel, and maybe understand is the wrong thing here, because Hegel's not really trying to get us to a philosophical system in the sense of the Western philosophical tradition, but in a sense there there is a turn 
with Hegel to a new order for philosophy. It's really working out this new understanding that will make him sensible. So, the beginning cannot know itself, and once done, you know, we can't go back to the passage from nothing to something, but this nothingness in some way is always there. And this nothing, which is without predicate or content, it's a state of absolute, and here, you know, it is it freedom? Well, that's what's being posited is that in German idealism, that if you want to posit absolute freedom, well, then nothing constrain. If nothing constrains, then the only thing that exists is nothing. In this state of absolute freedom, in which nothing constrains, in which all things are possible, there is only nothing. But, of course, this pure nothing. Ultimately, this is what uh, Lacan is going to talk about, Zizek, as a jouissance, that it is a pure evil that we arrive then on the scene and through what really is evil itself. But evil is prior to the good. An absolutely free subject can have no determinate content. It must ultimately be nothing. And so eternity holds out absolute freedom, you know, pure enjoyment of an unassertive, neutral will, which wants nothing. But this will actualizes itself in the guise which effectively wants this nothing. And so this is the folding of nothing upon itself. That is the annihilation of every positive, determinate content. That there is always a, the drive, you know, is always a drive to return. But what you would return to is a, a dissolution of all things. And so the conversion of nothing into an actively sought-after nothing, this accounts for the absolute ground of God's coming to himself the blissful peace of primordial freedom changes into pure contraction into the vortex of divine madness, which threatens to swallow everything into the highest affirmation of God, egotism which tolerates nothing outside of itself. And this is the death drive, but of course this is the, the drive that Hegel is depicting as nothingness and death, that it works in a kind of time loop. An original, actually non-existent state is posited, but of course a pure gaze prior to one's own conception, think here of It's a Wonderful Life, that George Bailey sees life without himself. This is kind of the fundamental fantasy upon which all being is posited that in the case of God, a pure gaze which finds enjoyment in contemplating its own non-being. And so this fantasy formation is really then the primary act of what Zizek will call the primordial lie, that something is floating an ultimate, over an ultimate nothing. And the phantasmic construction by means of which we endeavor to conceal the inconsistency of the symbolic order is this fundamental fantasy in which we would just say, well, it's symbolism all the way down, always covering over the, the nothingness that lies at the base of the content. This is Schelling, this is Hegel, this is Freudian psychoanalysis, but in a sense this is the convergence between German idealism and the Cartesian cogito. This is, we might say that here is the beginning of the breakdown of modernity. Prior to the assertion of the rational word as the primary medium, the subject in 
Hegel's depiction is the pure night of the self, the infinite lack of being, the violent gesture of contraction that negates every being outside itself. This is Hegel's notion of madness when Hegel determines madness as withdrawal from the actual world. Think of Descartes going into his warm oven, the closing of the soul into itself, its contraction. I think this is the deep insight into a Cartesian understanding, and of course what Descartes fails to understand in his universal doubt, in his reduction of everything to thought, is the thinking thing, that he counts himself out of this thought. It's a passage through the moment in a Hegelian sense of radical madness. And of course, that's there in, in Descartes. He talks about, what if I'm dreaming this whole thing? What if it's a demon that's tempting me? That is to say, the withdrawal into self, the cutting off of the links to the umwelt, is followed by the construction of a symbolic universe that the subject projects onto reality as a kind of substitute. And this formation is a kind of recompense for the loss of the immediate pre-symbolic real. Hegel realizes there is always this dialectic between something and nothing. I think we get Hegel by reading Schelling's God read into a Cartesian cogito. It gets at the madness of a self-positing or a self-grounding subject. This is the point that Zizek is making in regard to the cogito. It's not that it is false in terms of some sort of philosophical understanding. He will say that he's Cartesian, but of course what he means by that is not what most people mean. He, he means that the point is that Descartes' cogito articulates the Lacanian notion of the human disease the disjuncture between the thinking thing and the thought. Descartes' isolation of himself in the heated room and reduction of the real world to a category of doubt, and then his reconstruction of that world up to and including God, it really follows the path of the Freudian notion of paranoia, which is the attempt to cure the subject of the disintegration of his universe. The point is not that Descartes was a paranoic, but this passage into isolation and potential madness retraces the course, I think, of the human psyche. The passage into subjectivity involves the ontological necessity of madness, the mad gesture of radical withdrawal from reality that opens up the space for the symbolic reconstitution of the world. And so to maintain that the product of thought is true, or you know, to fuse thought and being, already involves a form of madness that is at once so universal so as to be nearly inaccessible. This is the breakdown of Western thought, but this is the breakdown of all human thought. This is why I think Hegel encompasses East and West. There is no form of thought that escapes his critique of the human project. And in this sense, normalcy is a kind of subspecies of psychosis, something that's being covered over. That is, the difference between normalcy and madness is inherent to madness. I think this is the great Hegelian recognition.
And what does this difference between the mad construction and the normal construction of reality consist? Isn't it the case, Zizek will say, that ultimately normalcy is just a mediated form of madness? Or as Schelling will put it, is normal reason not merely regulated madness? So the normal self, and when we say normal, we're saying one who has in some sense constituted himself and adjusted himself to the symbolic world. This normal world, though, is suspended over a world of madness, darkness, and this is, you know, the primary text in Hegel. The trauma or, or the rip in the symbolic is not a failure to align oneself with reality, but in a sense it's reality showing through this traumatic rip. The subject is put into the position of grounding himself, but that ground is constructed through a kind of symbolic deception. And so this construct is a kind of, I think in biblical terms, a primordial lie in Zizek's terms, in psychoanalytic terms. They all will use the same language. It's a pure construct, a primordial lie. And this accounts for the conscious, unconscious structure of the subject. The unconscious is not simply the drives or primarily the drives, but it's made up of that phantasmic foundation of being that would hide or obscure the real, and the real, of course, is death or nothingness. So part of the content of the real, or that which is by definition unconscious, consists of the human project or the founding gesture of the conscious subject. We can't access this founding gesture either in ourselves or in God. So what is truly unconscious in man is not the immediate opposite of consciousness, you know, the obscure and confused irrational vortex of drives, but the very founding gesture of consciousness, the act of decision by means of which I choose myself. This is from Zizek, the fragile absolute. I choose myself, I combine this multitude of drives into the unity of myself. And the unconscious is not the passive stuff of inert drives to be used by the creative synthetic activity. The unconscious in its most radical dimension is in fact a self-positing that you get in the Cartesian cogito, that I am me, and that in some way this fundamental project is hidden, covered over, repressed. It's out of the light of day. And so this is the significance of the whole Lacanian picture that really what, in Zizek's understanding, what Lacan gives us in the mirror stage, in the eye, and the choosing, the self-choosing itself as a, a project, as an object, is that in some way we would make ourselves cohere in this imaginary ego. And this is what in Hegel, I think, is exposed, the death drive, the rotary motion of the drives in Schelling, which I think is what Heidegger will call the clearing. I think here in his letter on humanism, of the deranged, twisted, withdrawn foundation of the horizon of clearing itself in Zizek's language. And so Heidegger's turn to the traumatic clearing, I think, is what opened the door to participation in national socialism. That at some level, 
his picture of being in the house of language marks the difference between the real, the clearing, and the, the symbolic. The former is the domain of the death drive, and the latter is the symbolic. It's interesting that each of these thinkers then are taken with a, a kind of radical evil. Think of Hegel seeing Napoleon on a horse, and he says, there goes the world spirit on a horse. Zizek will link this, the fundamental derangement of the subject of the death drive, to the fundamental fantasy. That one is tempted to take the word derangement quite literally, what from the psychoanalytic perspective is the very basic form of human derangement. That is, this fundamental, this primordial lie that one hits upon is pathological. It's this realization of seeing what sustains being in the world, our dwelling within the symbolic universe, and the fact that this thing, this clearing, opens up and can be undone. So the fundamental fantasy provides a kind of illusion of a consistent core, and I think this is what Hegel, what Freud, what, in other words, what we're doing psychoanalytically when we talk about somebody who's deranged, Hegel is going to be doing philosophically. It's a description of the repressed trauma. It is a return to this repression. It is, in Schelling's work, the depiction of the formulating of the fundamental fantasy. It is a presentation of the impossible time loop of being present at God's conception of himself. And so the basic paradox of the psychoanalytic notion of fantasy consists in a kind of original fantasy, the fantasy of origins, that is to say, the elementary skeleton of the fantasy scene, is to be present as a pure gaze before one's own conception, or at the very act of conception. And so the fantasy grounds the subject in an immortal, timeless space. And the subject is pictured as one of pure spirit, inhabiting the body as a spirit or soul. This is the grand lie, this great notion of innate immortality. The body is the mechanism that houses the real kernel of the pure gazing self, you know, looking out through the material eyes. Literally, this was Descartes' picture of himself, that if you took a dead animal's eyes and stuck them in the eye sockets, that they would still function, they would still be part of the machine, and so the body is the machine. And of course, the problem with this is that you can't sustain this understanding of the subject. Uh, the subject is ultimately a repressed, unconscious subject, deceived primarily about the self, and this is going to rise to the surface, that man's basic dispositional frame as a subject of the death drive is one that obscures the very place from which he sees that in some way he's woven himself a picture of which he himself is not part of. Instead of the cosmic lie posited as part of the Cartesian subject, the Cartesian subject is pictured as the origin of the great chain of being. You know, this is the Kantian critique of Descartes, which reduces the transcendental subject to an empty X or nothing. And so Kant brings out what Descartes succeeded in hiding, that is, that ascertaining absolute certainty 
and implicitly the absolute self, entails positing a causal chain involving all of reality in which the thinking thing itself stands outside that reality. If the eye of self takes in all that is, which in fact Descartes' argument does up to and including God, the place from which the self is looking is exempted from the horizon of reality. And so the same goes for the self that thinks itself, the first self, the observer, is excluded from the second self. I think we imagine we get hold of a positive, phenomenal reality that is transparent to itself in its capacity to think. But, of course, Kant's point is thought does not render transparent the thing which thinks. And so there is a topological discord between the form I think and the substance which thinks. So I think it's really Hegel's entry point is Kant's exposure of this Cartesian subject as nothing more than a vanishing mediator, a logical construct that in positing its own absoluteness necessarily falls beyond experiential reality. This is, I think, why for Lacan, Hegel is the most sublime of all hysterics, that with Hegel there is this apparition of a reality. The point is not to see beyond this appearance, but why the appearance occurs at all. So Hegel is, you know, in a Zizekian understanding, occupies the pure hysteric position of questioning, of taking Descartes' questions to its ultimate end picturing in a Hegelian philosophy both the the subject of the enunciation and the object of enunciation. The, the Cartesian subject is stuck in a singular perspective, but the Hegelian subject will take both sides of this perspective and show the discord, the dialectic that occurs between the two. The subject arrives on the scene missing something and the various neuroses and psychoses or the philosophical discord displays a different means of dealing. You know, I think philosophy is just a different means of dealing with what is experienced in psychosis. So that philosophy portrays then the mental sickness of man as much as mental illness. Desire, you know, to fuse thought and being what is at stake in the attempted fusion of thought and being, and the failure, of course, results in neurosis, psychosis, but also, one might think, in theology and philosophy. And so you can't arrive at the self through the cogito, through thought. Thought does not deliver the self. So Hegel's philosophy describing the emergence of consciousness spirit or mind out of unconsciousness and death does not turn from negation, nor does it presume to fill it in. Hegel uses negation in an energetics that duplicates psychoanalysis, and Hegel's philosophy does not turn from the predicament encountered in psychoanalysis, but it is precisely this predicament, this discord, the discord between thought and being of consciousness and unconsciousness of the private self and the social self that he's working in. So the Hegelian dialectic is not an epistemological program 
aimed at attaining a philosophical truth. Rather, it is a dialectic grounded in an ontology and orientation that takes death seriously. It takes negation as a kind of absolute. It is a description of the emergence of the conscious self from the abyss of the unconscious. Death is the engine that keeps the move towards self-conscious realization running. Life and death are not opposites, but are the two sides of the dialectic of human consciousness. And the natural tendency is to, in some way, close the eyes to the true nature of the subject, and it's Hegel who stares unblinkingly at this subject, that he tarries with the negative. This is the way you might read Hegel's pronouncement of the death of God. What he's really repeating there is Luther's understanding that God in Christ died on the cross, but he takes this not as an atheistic denial, as you'll get with Nietzsche, who is reading Hegel, but he does not presume to pass over the negation of the unconscious, but presumes that God himself in the death of Christ, that this points to the absolute mediation of negation as it is experienced in death that is that even god must die in christ and the death and resurrection are traditionally co-opted in a kind of chalcedonian distinction in the god man which is a kind of split in the human condition between the body and the immortal soul oh aren't we all the god man in this sense and so Jesus serves as another evidence that the death of God in Christ makes of death an absolute that would undermine any kind of ontotheological, epistemological approach to truth that imagines that we can know our way to being. Hegel's dialectic is not between two separate ontological categories, but he undermines the traditional dualism between heaven and earth, or the future or the present. For Hegel, death constitutes an internal and determinate negation rather than a sudden disruptive event that strikes without that death is a necessary and inseparable aspect of spirit, of person, of, of being. It is an analog of the very negativity that drives the dialectic onward and leads to the culminating experience of absolute knowing that occurs at the conclusion of the phenomenon. So, this is an introduction, we'll take up part two, we'll discuss in detail the work of Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.